The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Good morning, one and all, and welcome to Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. Going to try my best these days now to start moving this show back earlier in the day, uh, and it'll be, I don't know if it'll be something you can set your alarm clock to, but it will be a little bit more predictable, I think, lately with childcare-related coverage issues and obviously coronavirus and newborn and all these things that are been bouncing around the shows have been getting released anywhere from like 11 a.m to 6 p.m pacific time and that's not really super useful for all of you guys and so my hope is that we're able to rearrange things on my end to where i can get these shows into the hopper by some point in the mid-morning pacific time whatever that translates to wherever you may be and uh, then you can start to, again, not set your alarm clock to it, but at least start to know when you can check your phone and look for that new episode. Uh, I am Dan Baspris, at Dan Baspris on Twitter, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. This, of course, is a HoopBall presentation. That's hoop-ball.com, the website, and the Twitter handle is at HoopBallFantasy, where amazing stuff continues to be put together. Uh, Want to give a big shout-out today once again to the guys over at Hoop Ball Gaming, uh, up to around 800 followers somehow, even during this pandemic, that they really haven't petered out even a little bit. Uh, Aaron Passau is coming on with Devin Ellington. He's been pulling sweet guests on Today in Sports Betting, the Hoop Ball Gambling Podcast. Strongly suggest you guys check that out. It's a lot of fun. And over on the Hoop Ball Fantasy side, We've got the Oklahoma City Thunder breakdown taking place, uh, a Russell Westbrook breakdown from our guy Steve, uh, Zach and his Dynasty Rookie Rankings Tier 2. That's out there as well. The Hoop Ball Expansion Draft started last night. You can actually watch the replay of that on YouTube if you like. I'm going to definitely be doing so later on today, so I would suggest you do the same. And I think when I'm doing it, I'm likely going to tweet it out so that you guys can all see, hey, this is... This is what I'm checking out right now, and I, I think you guys should join me in that effort. Uh, today's a day to get back into the uh, normal rigmarole here on the podcast of, of talking about teams. We're in the central division right now. And I got to say, with yesterday's episode, which was heavily just kind of optimism from yours truly, it, it gave me this, this feeling like, hey, you know what? Maybe by the time we finish these team-by-team breakdowns, we might have an idea of what the NBA is planning to do. And so I want to kind of retool our schedule just a little bit after we finish the team-by-team breakdowns. Don't worry, I'm not going to mess anything up on that front. We are going to finish out the uh, remaining clubs. We still have nine left, so that should get us through another couple of weeks or maybe a little bit more. We still have another episode on The Last Dance coming. I have my fifth and final lesson of the year, which is going to be breaking down basically picks 70 through 110 and how we should be uh, regaming that element of our fantasy draft strategy. And uh, we'll likely talk to some hoop ball pros mixed in there as well. Uh, we're going to be talking to Adam King, who, uh, with our buddy Josh Millman, set up a, a pretty cool 
uh, historical fantasy draft, so we can go through some of the details on that as well. And all of these things I will be figuring out here shortly as I get my schedule figured out, which I'm sure is a problem a lot of us are having these days, just sort of not knowing what's going on from a minute-to-minute basis and, uh, and, and just putting the pieces together. In fact, right now I'm recording this podcast with my amazing son, Asher, playing ABC Mouse on the computer directly behind me. So if you hear uh, intermittent noises, that's I, I'm assuming the noises of success from my little boy, and uh, we're just gonna see how this works. Ash, can you tell me? Are you gonna be? Are you gonna play nice and quietly while Daddy does his podcast? Yeah. You heard it. You heard it, folks. He said yes. We'll see if he. We see if he. We'll see. Are, he's got his water and he's ready to go. Uh, let's talk about another team from the Central Division today. We talked about the Indiana Pacers on our Tuesday edition of Fantasy NBA Today. So we've got a choice of four. And because this is sort of like a little bit of a trial run on a new uh, way for me to record the show, honestly, to just have things going on right around me, as opposed to waiting until I could truly stow away by myself for an hour, I'm going to go to what I think is probably the easiest team to break down in the Central Division, and that's the Milwaukee Bucks. And as soon as you guys heard me say the easiest team, I think you probably knew what direction I was going with that one. Milwaukee was, you know, I I talked about not setting your alarm clock to when this podcast gets released. You could set your alarm clock to that team's fantasy prospects. As expected, they really had four critically important fantasy assets and then one kind of bonus on the cusp in some formats, fantasy asset. And that, of course, was Dante DiVincenzo. The big four for Milwaukee, Giannis, Chris Middleton, Brooke Lopez, and Eric Bledsoe ranked in that order. So we can actually kind of go back to the way things used to be on this show while doing our team-by-team breakdown and actually go through the names from top to bottom and break down how their seasons went, what it means going forward, what it means from a, a fantasy value and draft strategy standpoint, And of course, maybe the most important thing, you know, irrespective of the fact that the Bucs actually lost three consecutive games before the season was suspended, uh, one of the, you know, two of those were, as as I recall, without Giannis Antetokounmpo, although we're two months out on this stuff now, so I, I sort of, I admit I don't fully remember. They had a game in Denver where they rested everyone. That was the back-to-back in altitude, if memory serves, after a loss in Phoenix. And that was the one where they indeed were without Giannis. Chris Middleton, of course, had had himself a field day. So for the Bucks, it was, uh, not unexpectedly, a very successful year. I thought you might actually see Milwaukee take a very tiny step backwards during the regular season, and I was dead wrong on that front. They were just a well-oiled machine that kind of almost no matter how much focus they put into any particular game, they were thumping people. It was, it was a clobbering. Uh, Their number was 54 and a half. I thought that they would probably go under that mark and there's almost no chance that that bet would have hit. They were at 53 and 12, 17 games left and they only needed to win two of them. The reason I made that call was because I got the impression and we've seen this with other teams, and it's actually the reason that I faded the Denver Nuggets uh, on a, the season win total number this season, which theirs was at 50 and a half, so that one was actually going to be uh, much closer than the other one. They probably were going to go over that number as well. 
But the reason I faded a couple of these teams, which seemingly if the season has ended would have actually been losses on both fronts, is that a lot of times teams that make that big jump, and for the Bucks, it wasn't what you'd call a big jump because they'd been good for a few years now. They were 60-22 and 22 last season. Uh, they were 44-38 and 38 the year before. Obviously, the change in, in coaching, that was one of the big elements to their jump in success. This wasn't a team that, after having the best record uh, at 60 wins last year, had anything best record in the East. Actually, the best record overall, right? Yeah, best record overall. They didn't have anything to prove in the regular season. So to me, I thought, all right, this is a team that's going to throttle down during the regular season. They're going to save their bullets for the playoffs. And so you might see a couple extra losses during the regular season. They, they don't, like, they're, they're seven games up, six and a half games up on the Raptors right now. You don't have to be that far ahead of everyone to get the one seed. You can be two games up. You can be a half game, one game up, whatever. You're, you're the one seed when you're the one seed. But what I didn't count on was two main things. Number one, this team is just so unbelievably good that they didn't need to be all in in every single ball game to just crush everyone. Two, they were unbelievable at home at 28-3, and three, second best home record in the Eastern Conference to those crazy Jekyll and Hyde 76ers who were 29-2 and two at home and 10-24 and 24 on the road. And three, the Bucks actually did throttle down this year and still beat the pants off of everyone. And the only evidence you need for that is looking at the minutes per game number for Giannis Antetokounmpo, who was down two minutes per game this year at 29.7. And in fact, the only buck who went over 30 minutes a game this season was Chris Middleton at 30.1. So it was truly barely getting over 30 minutes. And you could see that this was this was not an accident. This was by design. Giannis was at 33 minutes last year. Middleton was at 31. So not quite as large of a drop for Chris as it was for Anadokounmpo. And then over on the Brook Lopez, Eric Bledsoe front, those guys were both in the high 20s last year. Bledsoe down about two minutes this season. Lopez also down about two minutes this season. Some of that's blowouts, but they had plenty of those last year as well. A lot of that was, again, by design to try to keep their guys fresh, not overwork them. And they figured, all right, well, if our key guys play two minutes less per ball game and we lose two or three extra games, it's really not going to change much for this team. Interestingly, though, Giannis, his value only took a hit because of free throw percent. He scored 28 points per game last year. He was at 27.7, 12.5, 6, 1.3 steals, 1.5 blocks, 73% free throw on extremely high volume. This year, the scoring for Anadokounmpo was actually up. He took almost three shots more per game in two and a half minutes less on the floor. Scoring was up, rebounding was up, assists were the same, steals and blocks were down significantly, field goal percent was down, but again, he was taking so many shots that it, it sort of counter, counterbalanced it a little bit. And then the big hit on Giannis, who was number six on a per-game basis last year with those big eye-popping numbers, 
was down to number 19 this year. That is a huge drop. And I know it doesn't seem like a lot. It's only 13 spots. We've talked before about how big of a difference it is between the first and the second round because those drop-offs between each player are market. He was, from a value standpoint, about half as valuable this year as he was last year. The loss of steals and blocks, the lower field goal percent, the brutal, almost unrecoverable free throw percent that he was putting up, it wasn't enough to balance out the increase in scoring and rebounding. And so when you look at Giannis from a from a reality perspective, he's obviously still destroying the league and almost nobody can stand in his way at, at, at the current moment uh, aside from a, a select few people that push him out towards the perimeter. But from a fantasy standpoint, that's what we care about. What What is his game doing and where is it going next? And what does it mean on draft day? Well, number one... I don't see his minutes trending up at any point in the near future. This team is sort of built to succeed, and there aren't going to be many large-scale changes with this club. Middleton is signed long-term. Giannis, you know, everybody's waiting on his free agency at the end of next year, so that's not changing for at least another season. Uh, Eric Bledsoe, he's locked in. So, you know, the, the, the key cogs on this team... Are really aren't going anywhere. I believe Brooke Lopez has a four-year deal as well. I can I can triple check on that. Uh, yeah, he's he's good for the next like half decade in Milwaukee too. So this team is not changing anytime soon. They're going to be beating up on a very weak Eastern Conference. So you get all these easy ones, and so you're going to get a few things. Number one, you know Giannis missed again seven or eight games this year he missed 10 last season he's not going to play in all 82 he doesn't need to what about those four categories to me that sort of redefine what he is as a fantasy player and yes he made one and a half three pointers a game this season as opposed to 0.7 last year but i would happily give back that 0.8 three pointers for the extra four percent in field goal shooting. That, that to me, is a far more valuable stat. So, w- what is the steals? What is the blocks? The field goal percent? The free throw percent? What what really it does the future hold for Giannis Antetokounmpo? I'm inclined to think that the steals and the blocks drop-off is just partly because the Bucks are annihilating teams, and it's not necessary. If... If this team gets challenged a little bit more, you might see that stuff come back, and you might see it come back a little bit just from a sort of a natural rebounding effect. But I do think that generally it's trending down. I think it's generally trending down. Field goal percent, I think, is generally trending down as he tries to add more space to his offensive game. He's well aware that that was the one thing that was holding him back in the playoffs. Teams packing the paint, and Giannis unable to get the easy, really easy looks that he gets during the regular season. And of course, free throw percent. This one, seemingly a bit of an outlier, but at the same time, is it now becoming a mental thing for him? This is his lowest free throw shooting season of his career by a wide margin. He's been, to his credit, a little bit better here down the stretch. He shot 77% from the free throw line over their last 10 games. He was at about 68% over their last 20 games. 
maybe that's a sign that he was getting back up into the low 70s range, but I don't know if it's something that I'm willing to trust going forward. Now, the other note on Giannis, of course, is that his name is so powerful that you almost, like I don't know that there is a world in which he gets underdrafted. It's the Russell Westbrook effect, where for many years, Westbrook kept getting drafted at 15, 16, 17, even though he was sitting in the 30s and 40s for multiple seasons in a row because of his free throw shooting, and nobody seemed to care. And his field goal percent. It was both. And now, you know, this year, not a great example because a lot of that stuff came back for him. But even still, he was at 38, despite the better field goal percent and better free throw percent. So there's a name recognition here with Giannis. That's the Westbrook effect, where he's probably going to get drafted inside the top five again next year, even though if his steals, blocks, and free throw percent don't come back, I don't know how he gets inside the top five. Look at the guys that are inside the top five or even the top ten in fantasy every year. There's almost no one in there that's killing you in one or the percentages. There just aren't there aren't punt guys in that mix. And the closest thing we got this year was LeBron James, who was shooting 70% at the free throw line on about six attempts per ball game, and he was number 11 on a per-game basis. If you go upwards of that, Hassan Whiteside at 68% is as low as that number goes. James Harden at 43.5% on field goal shooting is as low as that number goes. There's no one even in the ballpark of what Giannis's free throw percent is doing to a fantasy value. It's, it's the Andre Drummond, it's the Rudy Gobert, it's the Ben Simmons, where as great as they are at so many categories... One really rough one is enough to take them out of the first round. So I'd love to say that I think Giannis is going to be some sort of value next year, but I don't believe that to be true. I think even though he had a down season this year, and from a fantasy standpoint, this is a massive disappointment if you took him in the first round and you got mid to late second round value out of a, out of your number two or number three pick, that's a huge kick to the nads on your fantasy team. I don't think that he drops. I don't think that he falls towards the turn, which is where someone should be targeting him next year. Probably not as far deep as number 19, but he's almost definitely going inside the top five or six again anyway. Chris Middleton, interestingly enough, was right behind Giannis at number 23, as far apart as most people might think these guys are from a fantasy standpoint. Middleton averaged 21 points a game, six rebounds, four assists, a steal, two-and-a-half three-pointers on 50% from the field and 91% at the free-throw line. Those are eye-popping numbers for Middleton, and it's the type of stuff that we were hoping for last year when he ended up as something of a disappointment. And he's been one of those guys where, uh, I'll admit, this podcast has kind of been just a little bit off last year. Last year, I wanted to take him in that you know 25 to 35 range, and he sputtered, shooting just 44% and 84% at the free throw line, and just sort of nothing was going down for the dude. But he figured it out this season. Volume was actually back up a little bit, and field goal percent was way higher, a career high. Free throw percent was a career high. Scoring was a career high. And the only knock on Chris this season is that he was only at 0.9 steals per game, where 
Some of that could be chalked up to the fact that he was only playing 30 minutes, which was a low for him in pretty much any healthy season since his first couple years in the NBA. Uh, but some of it is just the Bucks as a team kind of trending that direction and not stealing the ball nearly as much because they're just, they didn't need to. They just had every spot on the floor well defended and they didn't need to do more. Unfortunately, for Chris Middleton, the story ends the same way as it does for Giannis for different reasons. For Giannis, he's going to get overdrafted because of his name. Even though he's had a rough season, and by all accounts his value should take a hit next year, or his draft position should take a hit, I don't think it will. For Middleton, he's going to get the recognition of a really nice season, even though we were kind of hoping he would fly a little bit under the radar. So he will likely get drafted closer to where he belongs next year, as opposed to being a guy that generally falls because he plays in the shadow of Giannis Antetokounmpo. Now, do I think he goes as high as 23, which is where he finished this year? No. I also think this is about as good a season as he's going to put together as the number two fiddle on this Milwaukee Bucks roster. From a handicapping standpoint, if you look at Chris Middleton's line, the only things you really need to pay attention to are steals, field goal percent, and free throw percent. Blocks aren't going anywhere. He's never blocked shots in his career. The rebounds have been fairly consistent with box-out artist Brooke Lopez creating those opportunities for Giannis and for really anybody else. The assists have been largely unchanged for three consecutive seasons. Where we could see changes going into next season would be steals, which, as we mentioned just a moment ago, are down on a per-36 rate for him. His more in that... 1.1 range this year, whereas at times in his career, he's been up around 1.5 or even 1.6 per 36 minutes, or even higher than that if you go to his first couple seasons in the league. Those could come back, although again, given that the team's makeup seems to be largely unchanged going forward, I don't know that you can expect that to improve. I think you have to just assume that he's going to be more in the neighborhood of one steal per game because that's where he's been now for two seasons in a row. And on the percentages, I don't know how those get any higher. He shot 50% from the field. He was 0.1%, meaning 0.001 on field goal percent away from being a 50-40-90 guy. Like if this team had played one more, if he had made one more shot in their loss to the Phoenix Suns, he probably would have been a 50-40-90 guy on the year. That's unbelievable, and also damn hard to duplicate. So while you look at his numbers and you say, damn, number 23 overall, he missed 10 games, also not a great sign for him. And I don't, I don't know if that's a thing that happens a bunch of times going forward. Like, I guess there's a chance he could be more durable next season. That He's had one year, really, where he didn't play... Uh, almost every ball game. That was the big injury year, 2016-2017. Otherwise, he's at 82-79-79-82-77, but this year he was on pace for more like 70. So if that's going to be an issue going forward, you have to put that as something to think about. And then the expectation that a career 46% shooter from the field and a career 87% free throw shooter, while the numbers he put up are not that unbelievable... 
especially in the free throw percent number. You see fluctuations of 2, 3, 4% all the time in the NBA. The field goal percent was extraordinarily high. His previous career high mark was 46.7%, and he did that twice with the Bucks, his second year in Milwaukee, and then two years ago, 2017, 2018, uh, before the team was sort of fully turned over to Giannis, and Middleton was able to, to really do more of the stuff where he was comfortable. Do we think that this is his game now? Has he figured out how to just be this unbelievably efficient? There's a possibility that that's true. And if you believe that's true, then you say, okay, well, then he gets back to number 23 again next year. But there's almost nothing he can do season over season to make gains to make gains to where he can get into the middle of the second round or even earlier because the only areas where you look at with him and you say, okay, well, this is an area for potential improvement would be, could he take more shots? And the answer with Giannis on the team is probably no. Could he get more steals after watching two seasons now of around one steal per game and 1.1, 1.2 per 36? The answer is probably no. Could he play more minutes next year? I doubt it given the fact that this team has a playoff spot pretty much locked up before the season begins, given how much talent they have and how wimpy most of the Eastern Conference is, there's just no place with his handicap where you say he could get better from a fantasy perspective. He's not going to shoot 51-52% next year. That's almost unbelievable. And if he does, congratulations. The hope, of course, with Middleton is that everybody looked at his numbers and were not unbelievably inspired by 21, 6, and 4. Those are good numbers in the popcorn departments. They're not eye-popping because not any one of them is enough to carry your team. He was better than average in scoring. He was around league average in rebounding. He was slightly better than average in assists. He was slightly better than average in three-pointers. So these are all positives for him, but it's not like when you look at Oh, I don't know. I mean, take players that are even ranked right around him. Luka Doncic was number 25, and he went for 29, 9, and 9. Those are eye-popping numbers, but he had these big shortcomings. High turnovers, bad free throw percent, or worsening as the season went on, that hurt Luka and dropped him behind Chris Middleton. So, to me, is there any question in anyone's mind who's going to be drafted earlier between those two guys? What about Brandon Ingram at 29? I think there's a reasonable chance he gets drafted in front of Chris Middleton next year. What about DeAndre Ayton, who only played 30 games, was ranked right next to Chris Middleton this year? I think his blocks and his field goal percent and 12 rebounds a game, these are the kinds of numbers you look at where you're like, oh, damn, that's making a dent into a category. Whereas with Middleton, oh, well, all he's doing all season long is quietly helping you in like six out of nine categories without really hurting you in anything besides blocks. He's giving you nothing in just one statistical category, but he's solid in, to good, solid to good in every other category. That's a really valuable player to have on your team, especially if you can get him in the third or fourth round. And that, of course, is the question. Where will you get him? next year he was drafted in the fourth round in most fantasy drafts this season which is turning out to be a a pretty colossal steal I believe his uh the hell was his ADP it was 45 
It's going to be higher than that. It's going to be higher than that. Where would I take him? I'd take him in the 30s. I'm comfortable with that. Even if there's a drop-off in field goal percent, I'm comfortable with the 30s. He seems comfortable, but again, this season was about as good as it gets. Brooke Lopez was the third highest player ranked on the club at number 60 in nine category leagues, and he is the quietest number 60, well, ever. (laughs) I mean, he's always right in that same spot. Uh, His ADP was pretty close, actually, to where he got drafted this season. Um, He was, his ADP was in the high 50s. So by that account, he was perhaps a tiny bit of a disappointment at 11 points per game, 4.5 rebounds, 2.5 blocks, and .7 steals. Uh, Just 1.4 three-pointers per game this year. That has to be the number that surprises a lot of people. That's uh, significantly lower than last year when he shot about 2.5% higher on almost the same shot volume, but his three-point percent was down. And his three-point attempts were also way down. I can't fully explain that. His minutes were down a little bit, about two per game, but nothing that he shouldn't be able to overcome. It's about a 10% drop-off there, which you can probably explain in the scoring and rebounding departments. But where you can't really explain it is the field goal percent. You know, he's been a guy that has taken a bunch of three-pointers now for four seasons in a row, and the first three of those years, he shot 47, 46.5, and 45%, and about 30, 35-ish percent from downtown. Then this year, all of a sudden, 30% from downtown, far fewer three-pointers attempted, and 42.5% from the field. Was last year a contract year situation? It's conceivable. Is this Brook Lopez going forward? Also conceivable. Let's remember, he's not an ultra-young guy. He's 32 already. So he's someone, as a big man, that you have to assume is actually going to be a little bit on the downslope. I'm still perfectly comfortable drafting Brooke Lopez in that 55 to 75 range, if indeed that's where he ends up, because, listen, let's be honest here, two and a half blocks a game is huge. He's not helping you in field goal percent. You just have to sort of make note that you have to look somewhere else for that. But literally anyone in the NBA getting you two and a half blocks per game is going to have some sort of value. In fact, because that category is so hard to find, the top, let me make sure I'm getting this right, 14 shot blockers in the NBA this year were all fantasy relevant. I'll rattle them off to you. Whiteside, Brooke Lopez, Jonathan Isaac, Anthony Davis, Miles Turner, Kristaps Porzingis, Rudy Gobert, Mitchell Robinson, Clint Capella, DeAndre Ayton, LaMarcus Aldridge, Andre Drummond, Jaron Jackson Jr., and John Collins. You have to get all the way to JaVale McGee at 1.5 blocks per game to find someone who was ranked outside of the top 100 in nine category leagues, and then you have a few of them after that. Most statistical categories, friends, don't work that way. For instance, the number two steals guy in the NBA was number 90 on a per-game basis. That's Chris Dunn. The number 13 steals guy was Alfred Payton at number 125. Again, we talked, we just mentioned this. The top 14 shot blockers were all ranked inside the top 65 in the NBA this year. It's not the case in assists. Devontae Graham, Alfred Payton. Devontae Graham was around number 80. Alfred Payton, 125. John Morant was 127. Not the case in assists. 
Blocks do sort of go hand in hand in, with, uh, excuse me, rebounding kind of goes hand in hand with, with blocks. So there is a certain tie in there. You have to get to number 14. That's Tristan Thompson before you find someone outside the top 50 in rebounding. Three pointers, you got plenty of do. Duncan Robinson was number 89 on a per game basis. He was fourth. Boyan Boganovich, I mean, I guess, and then scoring is probably the other one you could put in with blocks as, look, if you are one of the top few players in the NBA in this department, you're going to be a a valuable draft pick. And with scoring, yeah, I mean, obviously, these are guys are high-usage guys, so they're going to have other stuff too. But as far as the more specialized categories go, like blocks, steals, assists, rebounds, threes, even if you look at some of the percentages, those are harder to, to rank because you have to worry about how many shots someone's taking. Blocks are really the one where if you say, oh, you know, look at the top six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve ish guys, these are all fourth round picks or higher. And Brooke Lopez is the deepest one as a fifth rounder. So yeah, I'm still comfortable taking Brooke Lopez next year, even if there might be a downward trajectory to it. I think you'll be able to get him at a pretty good price. Eric Bledsoe is the last of the uh, the Beatles here on the Milwaukee Bucks, and he had, by all accounts, a, a pretty down season. To make sure I'm sorting this thing right on my computer screen, so I'm not saying the wrong stuff. Bledsoe, for many, many years in a row, was ranked somewhere between 35 and 50. He was like clockwork every year. Every year, he was right in there. The only issue with Bledsoe was you were worried... Would he stay healthy for the entire season? And since he's gotten to Milwaukee and out from under the weird Phoenix stuff, that hasn't really been a huge problem. 71 of the remaining games he played with Milwaukee, pretty much played in all of them two years ago. Last year, 78 out of 82. This year, he missed, I believe, nine games, which isn't a great sign, and actually speaks to kind of what went wrong this season. I've said it before. I think I even said it two days back on this podcast. One of the really easy ways you can see if somebody is healthy is to look at their steals rate. And I know we could argue that maybe Bledsoe is getting older, but he's actually still only 30 years old right now. So he's not, uh, you know, an antiquated fellow. His minutes per game are, this year, were as low as any season since he left the Clippers as Chris Paul's backup at just 27 minutes per game. He missed time early in the year. He missed time intermittently during the year and his steals were way way down and that was almost the entirety of what changed for Bledsoe this year some of that was Milwaukee's schemes they moved away from steals you saw with Giannis Middleton and Bledsoe all of their steals numbers were down this season the minutes per game didn't have that large of an impact on Bledsoe he still shot 48 percent just like last year his free throw percent was actually back up closer to his career mark at 81 instead of 75 last season. Rebounds and assists were exactly the same last year. Scoring was down half a point, but steals were down 0.6 per game. And that's the difference. That's the difference with Bledsoe, season over season. If you cranked his 0.9 steals back up to 1.5, he leaps from where he was, which right now was number 80, in nine category leagues, right back up towards the edge of the top 50. I mean, we're talking about two-ish rounds of value just from the difference in steals alone. That was a critical category for him throughout his career. That's where he was making his hay 
as one of those big, hey, this is a move-the-needle-steals guy. And this year, he was just sort of like a quiet plodding sort at 15, 4.5, and 5.5. That's just not going to get it done. So for Bledsoe, who generally makes the old man list, I think injury played a role in what happened this year. I think he's actually due for a little bit of a bounce back next season. But at the same time, I do want to caution all of us that it's possible that because Milwaukee just wants to play guys less and because they aren't really gambling on the defensive side because everyone can just stay in front of everyone else, they're just so damn solid over there, that steals might just be down for everybody on this team going forward. So Eric Bledsoe might be more like a top 75 guy as opposed to top 50 where he's been for multiple seasons in a row. And I think we need to make a little bit of an adjustment there and see how far he's falling in fantasy drafts this coming season, whenever the hell those drafts turn out to be. If he's getting drafted in the 60s and 70s, I'll take a shot on that. If he's still going to get drafted at 55 despite a down year, that's too early for me. Because I don't know that I, I necessarily believe the steals are coming all the way back. Even if health played a role, I think you're still looking at a little bit of a drop-off there. Even if it's just because of playing 10% fewer minutes. You know, 1.5 goes down to 1.35. That already is enough to knock him outside the top 50. So I would look for him in the 60s next year. And if things get great, you can look for him in the 70s. He'll be a very safe guy in that neck of the woods but I wouldn't take him too much earlier and I'd love it if he fell a little bit later but he'll I mean he'll make some lists don't worry he'll be on some of our lists last guy I want to talk about in Milwaukee is Dante DiVincenzo who turned out to be a really safe top 100 plod guy at nine and a half points per game five rebounds two assists 1.4 steals 1.43 pointers percentages were not great they weren't terrible he was your prototypical weekly guy you want a weekly leaguer Dante DiVincenzo's your guy he's going to play most of the games he's going to just slowly churn out value he was number 85 by totals on the year so better than his per game numbers because he only missed what you can count on one hand how many games he missed five games or six not really helping you in any one place steals pretty good Super low turnovers, you know, percentages are fine. This is the kind of guy you fill out the end of your roster with if you're in, say, an unlimited games format, a deeper bench, a weekly league, things like that where you're not beholden to a game's cap. If you're beholden to a game's cap and you're in a daily format, generally there were other guys out on the waiver wire that were doing more on a night-to-night basis than Dante DiVincenzo who certainly had his moments this year, but it required other guys being hurt for him to really get to that point. So when everybody was healthy on this team, he was just sort of, you know, head down, eyes closed, teeth gritted, and putting out, you know, a few points, a few rebounds, that kind of thing. And then when people missed games, you saw him the last few with Giannis out, 17 points, 16 points, stuff like that. So there was a little bit of room for growth on him, But on this team, when you're fiddle number five or six, it's pretty damn tough to create any measurable upside. He's a guy you draft if you're in those formats I was talking about. If you're in a daily league, if you're in a daily games cap type situation, there's no upside there. He's a low upside guy. 
unless Milwaukee makes some unprecedented move and and gets rid of one of their big four, which seems highly, highly unlikely. The only other way you see DiVincenzo working his way into more value is if his minutes trended up. But again, with all these other pieces, and they're never going to be short on bench with this team because they really want to keep the starters rested. Guys like Wesley Matthews, Pat Connaughton, they brought in Marvin Williams partway through the year, George Hill, Kyle Korver. This, this whole thing was set up so that the big guys wouldn't have to play a ton of minutes, and then the other guys can all sort of scrap and claw and get their 20, 21, 23 for Dante, whatever it is. If you turn him into a 26-minute guy, yeah, then he becomes a bit more fantasy relevant. Absolutely. But in this bench role where a lot of his value was put up in short bursts when he was filling in for other dudes, that's just not a guy you necessarily need to have in a daily format all season long. And that's your Milwaukee Bucks. Those are the main guys I wanted to talk about. So again, from a value standpoint, I think Giannis continues to get overdrafted. You guys know that I've, for many years, I've been the guy saying, I don't know how Giannis gets inside the top three. Everybody keeps telling me he's going to be a top three, and I don't see it. Well, then he went backwards. I didn't, even I didn't see that one coming, but you knew I wasn't drafting him. Uh, Chris Middleton overperformed. I think he might still be just a tiny value next year, but this big season has wiped out a lot of that allure. Brooke Lopez will probably be about accurately drafted next season. And then Eric Bledsoe, I think, same deal. He's probably going to be about accurately drafted as well. So I don't believe there will be a ton of value on the Bucks going forward. Maybe if you can get Middleton in the mid to late 30s, if he falls that far, that would be a nice, comfortable, hey, you didn't get Clay Thompson, here's Chris Middleton kind of thing. But the rest of these guys, I don't know if I end up with a ton of them, unless they fall farther than I expected, which is still a possibility. Sometimes I misread the general populace because Brooke Lopez is old and boring and Eric Bledsoe is old and boring. Maybe they fall, but I don't know if they're going to fall far enough because there's still, I think, a little bit of shine to their names that I was hoping would have come off here at some point in the not-too-distant past. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hope you enjoyed this one with the sounds of ABC Mouse and and three-and-a-half-year-old toddler in the background. I am Dan Bespris. Hey, wanted to remind everybody once again, I'm sure many of you have done it. Please do drop a five-star review on the podcast. And if you want to get in here at HoopBall, there's no better time than right now. While everybody is trying to figure out what the hell's going on with the world, whether or not jobs are going to restart, we are building. We are teeing things up. Hit me up, at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. I'll try to remember to tweet about it. I keep saying that. I keep forgetting. Have a great Thursday. More breakdowns tomorrow. Make it to the end of the week. They said we couldn't do it, and yet, here we are. That's officially all it is. Check out HoopBall, all those amazing things going on I told you about earlier. Uh, the podcasts, obviously, my babies. That's the babies I'm working on. It's my babies. Those guys are doing a great job. Check them out. Check them out, check them out, check them out. And leave five-star reviews on those as well. We'll talk to you tomorrow. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.